Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice, or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we will be speaking with a real estate agent. Yeah, I mean, you're just dealing with a lot of emotions, and when people really want a property, it's hard to just pick one. But there's only one house you can sell. There's only one buyer, one seller, and so that, that's probably one of the hardest parts of the job. Before we get started with today's episode, I've asked our guest to give some basic definitions of some terms that he uses in today's episode that some people may or may not be familiar with. First, broker. You can get uh, your broker's license and kind of manage other agents and recruit other agents to be under you, and then they sell under you and you're kind of managing them. Sales agent, you're just licensed and you're you're with a brokerage. Sorry, is a broker like Keller Williams or Remax or something like that? Is that a broker? So those are um, larger franchises, but so each, yeah, that's a good question though. Like Keller Williams is a very large national f- franchise. And then every franchise will have a head broker over it. Keller Williams, Berkshire Hathaway, like there's probably thousands of brokers for Keller Williams. Short sale. That is when somebody is behind on their payments and they are unable to proceed making their payments. That's where they they reach out to the bank and they say, hey, we're in distress. We can't make our payments anymore. We would like to work with you as the bank on selling this for less than what we owe it to you for. And it's a cooperative process um, between the owner and the, the bank get rid of the property basically. And it's it's less harsh on people's credits to do that um, versus the foreclosure is where the owners are not cooperating. They're not wanting to move out. They're not making their payments. And the bank has to basically come in and kick them out and then take possession of the property and then foreclose. So that's a little bit harder on people's credits. I just sold one this year that was a short sell. And it's interesting because they they say short sell like it's short. It is not short. It was like a three-year long process just because there's you have a bank in the middle. So the bank has to get updated like pay stubs and all this from the, the owners to make sure that they actually are in distress. There's just a whole nother middle person that delays the process. Sometimes it can be faster, but if you're working on the short sell, I would plan on it taking longer and there's a lot of uncertainty the bank kind of keeps the right to sell it and to not sell it and there's just a million things that could but if you can get a deal like that they end up being fairly lucrative and earnest money yeah so earnest money is basically it's kind of like a deposit into a contract so if if a buyer is like hey we want to make an offer on this house and we have three thousand dollars earnest money you put that in the contract and then that earnest money is contingent upon a few different things. So it can go to the buyer or seller, depending on when it's at in the process. For example, in Utah, you have your due diligence period where the earnest money, if a buyer backs out during the due diligence period, they can get all their earnest money back. That's normally like two weeks right at the beginning of a contract where a buyer can do inspections and bring all their contractors to make sure the house is good. And during that process, they can back out and get their earnest money. Let's say they go past due diligence, they go past their financing and appraisal deadline, and they're just about ready to close. And they're like, yeah, never mind. We want to back out. Then that earnest money could go to the sellers as liquid damages because 
the sellers lost, you know, let's say a month on the market. Maybe it was like right now where we're just in November and a month later it's December. Well, in Utah, there's snow here. There's not as many fires, you know, Thanksgiving just got over and we're going into Christmas. Like that could, that could be a big loss for those sellers, or maybe they moved out, you know, and the house is just sitting empty. So that earnest money is basically there. And I've seen earnest money from $500 to $50,000, depending on the deal. So it's all negotiable. And if the buyer goes through with the sell, it's just part of their down payment. But that kind of holds them accountable to where there's no like, just kidding, we don't want to buy the house anymore and there's no consequences. Thank you so much, Peyton, for joining me today. Can you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yeah. So I'm Peyton Anderson. Uh, I'm a real estate agent in Utah. I work with Mountain Luxury here. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Can you just tell us a little bit of your job description? What does it mean to, to be a real estate agent? I guess there's there's a few different fields within the, the real estate agency area, but I, I primarily work in the residential real estate realm, um, and I help a lot of buyers and sellers with their primary homes buy and sell their homes. What made you interested in this field? It's probably been about six or seven years ago I bought my first house, and I was super interested in, in investing, and I bought this house, we rented out the basement, and I was like, I want to do more of this. And I thought getting my license would be a good place to start and learn and stuff. I never really got involved with the idea of like selling full-time. But once I got my license, I had some friends reach out and they're like, hey, we want to buy a house. And it just kind of took off from there. So it was really interesting how it got rolling. I never intended to do it full-time or anything, but it's been a great journey since then. The more I learn about real estate, it just sounds like you have to have a lot of just faith and courage that it's going to, that it's, it's going to work out because you really do have to invest a lot of time at the beginning. Yeah, it's definitely, there's a fairly steep learning curve. The first thing is, is a typical transaction, like start to finish can be a few months because like once you meet a client and they're like, Hey, we want to buy a house. And it's like, okay, where do you want to buy? What what are you looking for? They got to talk with the lender and get pre-qualified. So there's like all these steps and processes to get them to the end result of them being in their dream home and start to finish. I mean, I have some people I've been working with for like a year. Others are quicker where it's like, Hey, we just saw this house hit the market. We're pre-qualified. Let's go see it. And then they write an offer that that night. But even the contract process in Utah, we're a standard like 30 to 45 days if somebody's getting a loan. And sometimes it can be longer than that. So if you go under contract on the house right from the get-go, it's still 30 to 45 days out before you even, you know, get paid or anything. Most of the time, like with a, a normal buyer or seller, the, the process is a few months, three to six months probably. Um, just because people like it's a big decision to buy a house. And so People don't make that decision overnight and just go out and buy buy a house like they would a car or something else. So, can you just tell us a little bit of the education or the experience that's required? Tell us a little bit about the licensing process. Yeah, so in Utah, I'm not sure in other states, but I'm pretty sure it's fairly similar. In Utah, you have to be at least 18 years old and have a high school diploma. There's a few different ways you can take a test, so you don't have to have any college credits or anything like that. 
there's a, a few trade schools that have courses that you can go to in person and attend those. That's what I did. And it was like evenings, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for like four hours. And there's two tests at the end that you have to pass. So in Utah, there's a state test and a national test. The course is a 120 hour course to get your real estate license. The online school, I looked it up, it costs about $650. But then once you pass the test and you go to get your license, there's some additional costs there. And it's about, you're about $2,000 all in just to get started and get the ball rolling. With that exam or with the, with the licensing test, is that, what are the types of questions are there? Is it mostly uh, recall or are they scenario questions? It's, it's very interesting because I, so at Mountain Luxury, I, I uh, train our sales team as well. And we have about 20 agents on there and we have some newer agents. They're like, the real estate test never prepares you for what you actually do in real estate as weird as that sounds. It's just a lot of the logistics and things that you don't always use, like calculating the square footage of a house or just there's other people that do that, um, not real estate agents necessarily in our in our industry. So other states, hopefully it's more in line, but in Utah, you, you learn a lot, but it's not everything you do in, in real estate. So that is interesting. What are the demographics of your field? So according to... Realtor and NAR, I believe it says 64% of realtors are female and the median age of all realtors is 55. Real estate experience of all realtors, the median is about nine years. I have some other cool facts I'll share with you. It says most realtors work about 36 hours per week in 2019. And then the median gross income of realtors was 49,700 in 2019. 28% of realtors had some college, 32% had a bachelor's degree. And just a little side question while I'm thinking about it, Uh, you you are in residential real estate. Can you kind of go over all the different types of real estate? As I was talking to another friend, I learned of, you know, a little bit about corporate real estate that I, I didn't really know much about. Can you kind of shed light on all of the different avenues that someone could go in this field? Once you get your license, there's a few like other areas you can branch out to. The biggest two, you have residential and commercial real estate. Those are uh, very different and like different forms and contracts. And once you get into commercial space, like there's actually agents that just go out and find people to lease buildings and they make a commission off of the lease and they, they can sell commercial buildings. So you can definitely diversify in real estate. Like I said, the, the two main ones are residential, commercial, but then you have like multifamily, like dealing with investors. And that is kind of more in the residential side. And then you can even break it down further from there. Like there's um, certain agents that work um, mostly with relocation people, people that are specialized in foreclosures or short sales or people that are specialized uh, working with veteran buyers. There's, you have buyer's agents and you have selling agents and the process is a little bit different. Um, selling agents, you're more marketing and, and uh, you know, showcasing the home and buyer's agents, it's more uh, going out and showing the properties and um, a little bit more labor intensive on the buyer's agent side. So there's definitely a lot of different areas you can go into within the real estate space. There's also property management. 
in Utah, if you're going to manage other people's properties, like put tenants in there and, you know, collect the rent and take all the phone calls and stuff like that, you have to be a licensed agent in order to do that and represent uh, landlords on that side. So whether it's leasing, residential, commercial, you know, investment properties, there's a lot of uh, different fields that you can go into and they're all very different. And I know that this will really vary depending on, you know, the type of the realtor you are, but what is the maybe range of salary and commissions that someone can typically expect to make at your position? The beauty of real estate is you can set that depending on how hard you work and the hours that you put in. Average, I would say you're probably right around the $50,000 a year mark. And that's, you know, doing 40-ish hours a week and, you know, 12 or so transactions a year. That's a very comfortable, you're busy, but you're not like overwhelming yourself type. I mean, I'm, I'm the extreme on the other side where I'm doing like 80 hours a week, 60 to 80 hours a week. And this year I'm on target to hit about 40 transactions. I'm going to bed at 11 and getting up at five, you know, and there's not too much off time. So it, the beauty of real estate is you can really set that according to how much time and effort you want to put into it. And then the financial side, you'll see the compensation come back. Is it a hundred percent commission or is there, did the brokers like ever provide like a base salary or does it vary? It varies. There's a lot of different things you can negotiate and that's a good question. So whenever you get your, your real estate license, you have to place your license with a broker. You can't get your license and just be like, Oh, I'm licensed. I'm going to go out and sell. Mm -hmm. You have to be under a broker because the broker then manages you and you're responsible to your broker and your broker is kind of over you monitoring and making sure that you're doing everything that's supposed to be done. So any agent that's licensed has to hang their license with the broker and all these different brokerages, there's different splits that they offer. So I would say the most common starting out is you're going to go to a brokerage and they're going to offer you some tools and resources to kind of build and grow your business and the splits we see fairly standard in Utah are 70-30. So if you close a deal and you make $10,000 off the sell, 7,000 of that would go to the agent and 3,000 of that would go to the brokerage for their training and just, you know, office space and things that they offer you. I would say most brokerages are commission only. So they're not paying you a salary or anything on the side. If they are paying you a salary on the side, I would expect your your commission split to drop way down, sure. like well under 50%. The different splits that I see, I mean, it varies so much, but there's 50-50 splits where the brokerage is giving you a ton of leads and resources and tools and stuff up to, there's some brokerages where you just pay like X amount per transaction and then you take the rest. I know there's some in Utah that are like $500 a transaction, which is very reasonable, but everything else is on you. So like at our brokerage, we're a higher split amount. Um, there's a few different tiers, but you're either 50-50 or 70-30, 80-20. I mean, there's a few different split ranges at our brokerage, but most of us are on a 50-50 split. Like if you get a listing, the brokerage is, they, we have a transaction coordinator, a listing coordinator, a journalist, photographers, drone people, just all these people that can go into the house and make it really shine. Because of that, I mean, I pay more of my commission to the brokerage, but for me to try and, you know, list a house and do all of that on my own, like that's not what I'm 
necessarily good at. It helps when you have the team there to help you with the transaction and really get the ball rolling. Cause it's really hard as a solo agent to be your own photographer, stager. And there's a lot of agents that try and man that up themselves and it, it, it can be a lot of work. So, and that's partially why I'm able to do the amount of transactions I am is because we have a good team that basically I can get the, the listing or the deal and run it through the system. And then it comes out all pretty at the end. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the benefits? Do you guys get PTO or uh, 401ks or insurances? How does that work? Well, and that's where you need to build a good team where it's like, hey, I'll cover for you while you're gone and you cover for me while I'm gone. For example, we're going out of town Thursday through Sunday. I have a closing. There's an inspection. Um, I'm sure there's going to be multiple buyers that want to see something while I'm gone. But just recently this year, I hired an assistant. So she's able to go out and kind of cover for me while I'm gone. But before that, it was super stressful because I was like, you're kind of at the mercy of your clients. It's been a challenge for me, for me to plan trips and stuff like that. Cause my family members are like, oh, we can take time off. We're not going to get bugged during that time. Right. Cause it, we, we planned it with our employer, but that, it's not the case for me, but that's where, if you have the relationships and the team, it will make your life a lot less stressful. So at our brokerage, there's no PTO medical 401k or anything like that. It's up to you really. One of the the biggest things that I see agents struggle with is, I mean, being a hundred percent commission-based at the end of the year, you have to pay your taxes. You have to set money aside. You have to cover your insurance. So while you can make a lot of money and kind of the sky's the limit, you also have to be prepared and aware that there are other expenses that you're going to have to cover. Like we pay for our own insurance. Uh, I pay that for my family. 401ks and stuff like that, like all my own investments in retirement is on me at this point. But I, I like it that way because I like being in control of that. So like I can buy an investment property or real estate, like there's just so many cool things you can do with that. We found some good, um, you know, medical companies to work with and we pay for it. So it hasn't been a huge issue for me, but I know for most people, that's kind of a hard transition to go from, you know, having dental and vision and all your healthcare, you know, covered to you having to pay for that. Can you walk me through an average day at your job? We just had a newborn. So that's changed a little bit. We have a, a three week oh old goodness. baby, but I've, I've been trying to stick to the schedule. I get up around somewhere between four 30 and five 30. And I I'll get up and work a little bit, plan out my day answer. Like that's my peaceful time where nobody's bothering me and I'm not getting flooded with emails and texts and stuff like that. So I'll catch up there. And then I normally go to the gym between six and seven, come back, shower and get ready for the day. And I'm getting to the office around eight thirty or nine. I'm there, you know, most of the day working on deals, prospecting, going out and showing houses. I still wear a lot of hats just because I don't know. There's random things that have to be done. You have to meet an appraiser, let an inspector into a house, or there's just a ton of stuff that can go on in a day. You do a lot of random stuff, but so from nine to about five, six or seven, I'm normally, you know, at the office working there or out showing properties. And then the evenings, it picks up a lot to where people are off their jobs and they want to go and look at homes. And so a lot of times you'll be meeting with people in the evenings and then I normally get home, you know, anytime between six and nine o'clock at night. So it doesn't have to be that extreme. If you're doing less deals, if you're, you know, between 
you know, 10 and 20 deals, it's going to be a lot more toned down and um, a lot more manageable. So there's definitely, depending on how busy you want to be, you can set your schedule that way. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, either the buying or the selling process? You know, we probably only interfaced with our realtor a total of maybe two or three hours the entire process. But of course, she was putting in more hours for us. And what is that process like? What are you guys usually doing on the other end from start to finish? I'll walk you through kind of both sides. So if you're a buyer, you reach out to me, you're like, hey, Peyton, I want to buy a house. And we normally meet up and kind of all do like an intro kind of what to expect. In Utah, the market's insane right now. Multiple offers on almost every house. And it's super competitive. And I have buyers that we've written like, you know, five to 10 offers and still haven't got anything accepted because when there's that much competition, it's just really hard. So I like to meet with people first and kind of set the expectation and be like, I know everybody wants a deal and it always feels good to get money off asking, here's the market that I'm seeing. Normally I set expectations depending on where the market's at. And then I get them set up on some searches. They tell me what they're looking for. And then these emails go out instantly once the home hits the market, they'll get the email notification. I can automate it. So I'm not having to like sit and watch the market all the time to see what pops up. If there's one they like, then we can go out and look at it and we schedule a time. Let's say they really like that house and I would come back and I would pull some comparable sales in the area. We would talk about an offer, you know, that sounds reasonable that they feel good about offering for the house. And then I would draft a contract for them and walk them through that process and what the contract means and the dates and the process and the deadlines. And then they would sign the, the offer and we'd get it sent into the sellers. Once it's to the sellers, we'd wait for a response back and let's say they accept and then we go under contract. And then the contract process starts. And like I mentioned, that's normally about 30 to 45 days. And during that process, there's you're coordinating with the lender, getting them all the paperwork they need to make sure that they have the ball rolling. You're getting uh, sellers disclosures from the sellers, making sure that they know, you know, the history of the home, when the roof was last replaced, stuff like that. And then you're scheduling an inspection, and then you have the appraisal, you're working with a title company to make sure that there's no liens on the property and stuff like that, and that the, the title is free and clear. And then once you get past all those things, and if the inspection checks out right and the appraisal, then you go and sign and close on the home, and then you coordinate closing. And when the seller is going to be out and when the buyer can move in, when they can get keys and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of just coordinating and guiding the deal along, making sure that it's, you know, heading in the right direction. So that's the buying process. The selling process is a seller calls, Hey, Peyton, we want to, we're considering listing our house. Sellers dabble a lot because they're like, you know, should we sell? Should we not? Rarely do I have a seller that's like, Hey, I want to sell. Normally it's like, we're thinking of selling and it's like a three to six month figuring out their life plans. And so I'm talking to them during that process. And then when they're like, Hey, we're ready to sell. I've already got them comparable sales in the neighborhood, but I get them some updated ones. And I'm like, this is where I think you could sell at. I get them like a net sheet. So they know what they would net after all the commissions and fees are paid. And then um, we'll walk through their house and be like, this is what we need to do if you want to sell it for this much, but if you want to sell it for this much, you can just leave it how it is. And then once we get the contract signed, then it goes into our system and we get the journalists, the 
the photographer, the drone guy, all these different peoples in queue. First, we want to get the stagers out there and get it staged. And then we get the pictures and get the write-up done. Meanwhile, all this is going on. I'm checking to see, you know, who their water service provider is, what internet they have. We get it ready to go live. And when we go live on the market, I like to go active on the market on like a Tuesday through Thursday. And we normally do an open house on Saturday. So then we do marketing for the open house and send out some postcards and do some social media marketing, just trying to get as many people as we can through the house on that Saturday. Um, And in this market, normally just this last week, we listed a house on Thursday at the open house. We got probably 40 people through the house and we had three offers. So last night, Monday, I was meeting with the sellers and we were looking at all three offers calling their lenders, making sure they're qualified. And then once we decide on an offer, then we go under contract with them and then they start the buying process, inspections, you know, all all that kind of stuff. On the listing side, it's a lot more labor intensive in the beginning. On the buying side, it's pretty labor intensive all throughout because you're finding them a house and then you're doing the inspections and everything else. On the listing side, you're not there at the inspections Yeah, hopefully that gives a little bit more in-depth of the process of what you do as a real estate agent. But that's what they don't teach you in the class. It's a lot more interactive in the real world. Sounds like this job is really just so much of time management and and I guess self-management. It's really just on you to succeed. Can you share with us what maybe a, a good day or one of the best days you've had at your job when you felt very accomplished? What what did that look like? Yeah, it always feels good when you when you have clients that are like very emotional, emotionally attached to a house and they get the house or when you list a house and and you think you could have got 200 but you sell it for 225,000. Those are the good days. There are some very hard days as well where as the selling agent have buyers that are very emotionally attached to the house, they just want the house, but for one reason or another, your sellers opt to go with another offer. It's just like that makes it hard. Yeah. It, it, the biggest, the, the best and the worst days I would say come down to, you know, just seeing people move into their dream home and they're super excited to, you know, start their, their new life there. The bad days are when that isn't always the option. So oh, that has to be so heavy. Just thinking about how much time we spend in our homes and how, how much of a role our houses play in our lives. And if you lose out on, you know, something that you would just envision to spend, you know, Christmases and birthdays there, that has to be so hard to watch. Oh, it is hard. And like, as an agent, you're, you're a therapist a lot of times because they come to you. They're like, what should we do? How do we, you know, we want this house. And and that can be heavy when you're like, I hope I'm telling them, you know, giving them the right advice. But I'm sure dealing with other people every single day has to bring some weird or unexpected experience and situations Mm -hmm. what what are some of those that you've experienced yeah I mean I've run into it all like doing inspections and stuff you always run into some crazy stuff multiple times a year I run into meth in houses Mm -hmm. and it's always hard like sometimes sellers are like we we don't do meth but it could have been a previous owner or one of their kids that did it kind of a, a crazier story recently I had some buyers that were under contract on a house and it was a beautiful house, amazing views. And there were some other clients that came in from out of state to see it and they fell in love with the house too. But the only position they could go into is backup position because we were the primary contract on the house. 
And these guys wanted the house so bad that they offered my clients first, it was 50 grand just to take their spot. They're like, we will pay you $50,000 just to assume your position in the contract. My clients were like, no, we, we really want this house. And then they came back. They're like, okay, a hundred thousand dollars. And my clients were, they were still like, no, we, we really want this house. So that was crazy. Like I've never seen that happen before. That house, I, I can only imagine like how beautiful that house had to have been. I don't think I could have well, walked was, away from that. It was, it was, it was a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you're just dealing with a lot of emotions yeah. and when people really want a property, it's hard to just pick one, right. but there's only one house you can sell. Yeah. There's only one buyer, one seller. And so that that's probably one of the hardest parts of the job. So what is the end goal for someone in your position? Is there a ladder that you're generally trying to work up to or, or do people generally retire in this position? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a few different things you can do as a real estate agent. You can continue selling houses. You can go into more of the corporate side where you become a broker. You can get your broker's license, which is uh, something we didn't really touch on, but that's where you have to go and pass another test and you have to have so many sales and stuff like that. You're kind of, you kind of have more of a business of recruiting agents and helping them grow and sell and stuff like that. Most people I see that really excel in the sales side, they stay there because that's where you're going to make the most amount of money. It's just outselling. And that if once you get in the groove and, and start doing well at that, I originally got my license so I could invest. And that's what I've been doing fairly heavily is investing into rental properties and stuff like that. We have another property under contract. So we're going to be up to five properties. And between those five, we'll have nine rental units. And that's kind of like building my retirement because those tenants pay us every month. And it's pretty nice having that steady income. So that's how I was able to diversify my income from being like 100% commission-based to you know, kind of having a salary on the right. side by setting up those rental properties. So they pay us every month. So that seems like a really smart way to go about it, where you have that steady <laughs> income. It's not fluctuating every month. Yeah. And I encourage every agent because you'll deal with a lot of investors. In fact, investors are some of my best clients because they're not just going to buy one home. Mm-hmm. Most people like you probably, you buy your house and you plan on being there for five or 10 mm-hmm. years. And that's a typical trend. So as an agent, it's hard because you don't have this reoccurring, like once you have one client, it's not like they're going to buy something every year, right? But if you work with investors that do want to buy multiple properties, you get, you know, you can get more sales off of one person versus waiting for the client that bought 10 years ago and hoping that they still call you. It seems like such a, a hard job of a labor intensive job, but I love how you can really tailor it to your life. And I'm sure that's why a lot of people go into it is because you're, you're, you're your manager basically. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people, myself included, when I started my dad, he's a developer and he's, he's never been super fond of real estate agents because He'll do all the hard work, getting the development and the streets and the improvements in, and then hire an agent to come in and sell it. And, you know, he feels like they make a ton of money in a short amount of time and being in the industry and seeing actually goes on and stuff, having a good agent on your side is well worth the money that you're going to spend, whether you're a buyer or a seller. And one thing I didn't really cover, most buyers don't have to pay to work with an agent. Like when you bought your house, I doubt that you paid your, your real estate agent. Like the sellers offer the commission to the buyer's agent and say, hey, please bring us a buyer. We'll pay you a commission. So it doesn't really cost you anything to use an agent if you're a buyer. 
if you are looking to buy or sell, like having an agent on your side, a good agent makes a world of difference. Thank you to Peyton for donating his time to the show. If you are interested in becoming a future guest, please go to employedpodcast.com. Scroll down to record a message and tell us what you do. Thanks for listening.